Welcome to By the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Paldoyan. So this is the second of three episodes I'm releasing in honor of Texas Choach, a statewide festival featuring Basque wine and cider. If you want to learn more about the festival, go to www.texastxotx.com, www.texaschoach.com. So in last week's episode, I spoke with Itziar Insausti, the winemaker for Doniene Gorondona, about viticulture in Bizcaico Chacolina, which is one of the three subzones of Chacolí. For this episode, we're going to do a broader look at Chacolí by speaking with Álvaro de la Viña, who imports natural wines from all over Spain. Uh, We've heard about Chacolí at this point from the perspective of a winemaker, so now we're going to talk to an importer. Alvaro brings in two different producers of chocolate. Ulibari is one, and that's from the Bizcaico region, and the other is John Goinaga from the Guitariaco region. I realize that these are very kind of esoteric regions, but I think we're going to be able to break it down in a way that makes a lot of sense. For the first half of our conversation, Alvaro and I talk about regional differences in farming and fermentation. And then around the 19-minute mark, we talk about Selections de la Vina more generally, what it means to import kind of avant-garde natural wines from Spain. We had a couple of technical hiccups, but we were eventually able to connect through Zoom from his New York office. Uh, so there's a little bit of background noise, but it's not a big deal. I think you guys will really like the episode. We'll jump in. Here we go. Yo, what's got up, man? You. I got you, man. What's going on? I'm not sorry, a lot, technical dude. difficulties. No, it's all good. You are in the tundra right now. How much snow is on the ground? Oh, dude, I've been shoveling snow for the past two days. <laughs> That's brutal. My, lo- my, my, my lower back is on fire, bro. Jesus, you got to get some lumbar support in that chair you're in. Hit oh, it with what, some like this, CBD lotion show? or something like that. I don't know. Oh yeah, I'm gonna hit it with some of that Tiger Bomb, man. There you and, go. Um, I I have uh, a couple summers ago. This was before Alba was born, like three years ago. I was trying to water ski up in Lake George, and I uh, slipped two discs in my lower back. Um, and ever since, um, you know, I've just been kind of coping with the pain and just managing it the best I can. And anytime, you know, I uh, do loading, heavy loading or, you know, extra work that's that's a little strenuous on my back, I can really feel it. Anyway, um, not ideal. I'm feeling, um, I'm, other than that, uh, I feel good. I'm healthy. And um, your hair you know, is looking luscious. As always, <laughs> I, I I made sure I made sure for you're you, out Chris. curling me today. I've got mine tucked back in a little bun situation well, at the moment. Well, yeah, man, you you know I, I feel like you like to you like to keep yours uh, tamed with with some gel. You're uh, a gel guy. I'm I'm a gel guy. Well, that's mostly because it's so fucking humid here in Texas that if right. I don't put a fuck ton it's of like, product in there, it's just gonna it's gr- like that. Yeah, right. Anyway, yeah, we got mad snow, man. Like, you know, it's wild. Out. Can, can I flip the screen here? Yeah, you, yeah. you should be able to. Holy guacamole. So um, what's happening, bro? Yeah, not a whole lot, dude. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, Choach is in full swing. We started it last Wednesday, uh, and we've got a couple of events coming up, which are super cool. We're doing an event tomorrow with um actually a former guest of the pod uh a girl named Kristen Sandvig who runs a travel agency 
And she does mm -hmm. these like virtual tours of like different parts of the world and kind of mm -hmm. gives people the opportunity to travel virtually, takes them to like different destinations. So we're doing like Basque Country starting in Biarritz, then going down to San Sebastian, Bilbao, Rioja. Um, and then we're having wines to pair with that. So it's to all of her like travel Amazing. clients. It's super cool. Um, so, and this is all online, right, Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be a virtual event. And then the following day, we're doing an event at Vinology, which is a spot that has supported your wines in the past. They did a vertical of oh, Ulibari for, sure. for Choch, I think, either last mm -hmm. year or two years ago. Yep. And then, yep, I remember. And then there's a place called the Texas Wine School. And Texas Wine School is doing this really sick, uh, like, masterclass where we're going to taste, like, verticals of different Rioja producers. Uh, we're going to do some Arologi Blanc, which is super cool to taste some uh, French Basque white wine. We're going to do some Chocolina. Uh -huh. So it'll be rad. It'll be a good mix of things. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, yeah, I'm a big fan, man. Yeah. Maybe we can start by giving listeners just kind of like a... 30,000 foot view of Chocoli in general, right? Honestly, you know, to me, um, Chocoli is wine. It's white wine. You know, yeah. it's, it, it can be red, of course, but for, for, for me, Chocoli is more of a, a geographic denomination. All right. And we are Spanish wine importers. So we felt a need um, to have some Chocoli in our portfolio. Um, but as you know, we're very focused on, you know, natural wine and, um, organic viticulture. And, you know, as we were saying, uh, this is very hard to come across in, in this region until we, um, uh, uh, learned about, uh, uh, Iker Ulibarri and his brother Asier in Vizcaico. They're in the town of Gordesola, which is outside of Bilbao, maybe 15 kilometers from the coast. and. They're, they're small farmers that are farming about two hectare of vineyard, all under organic certification, very isolated in the mountains. And uh, they're shepherds foremost. Um, you know, they've, they, 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 they're, they're just farmers, you know, subsistence farmers living off of their land, shepherds foremost. And um, maybe uh, early uh, 2000 decide to plant uh, these vines and they plant mostly on the Rabisuri to make chocolate. actually, But they had been uh, making uh, cheese before that, right? They had been... been making organic cheese before that, right? Yeah. Um, and actually, I always say that the, the, the sheep are such an important part of their wines and their estate in general because everything sort of rotates around them. The sheep are in their vineyard. They're grazing the vineyard. They're, you know, eating and keeping, you know, the A little grass. compost situation as well. And then yeah. obviously composting, right? So I honestly, I, I always say with, with Ulibari, if you taste the wine and the cheese side by side, it's almost like the wine is in the cheese and the cheese is in the wine. And it's yeah. all just a product of the sheep that have been in their family for so long and that form such an important part of their life. So, you know, th this was the profile of producer that we were looking for. It's a profile of producer that we didn't really know existed so much in Chakuri. I think that you're starting to see more people like mm -hmm. the Ulibari brothers that, that, that are doing things uh, in this fashion. Uh, but yeah, uh, it seemed like a good start. Um, it was very unconventional, Chris. I mean, we mm -hmm. all think of Chakuri as uh, very fresh, that's almost consumed within the vintage. And Ulibari was very unconventional in that they were aging their Chakuri. They were... Um, 
you know, yeah, I the prism through which so many people see it is just this fresh, bright style. But Ulibari is kind of different than that. They're making something that's very mature that can right. develop over so, time. The ageability of the wine. Un- unfortunately, in my opinion, I think Chapoli has become very industrialized, um, and the market demand for Chapoli is is sort of this fresh, very lean and green wine, almost. Mm. You know, um, that's uh, uh, being harvested. Um, in October and being fermented very quickly and bottled almost in in November with an injection of CO2 in some cases, making for this, you know, like I said, very lean, green, sort of spritzy. uh, uh, And and this is, I think, the the, the conventional concept of what what Chakali is. In in case of Ulibari, they're doing long, slow fermentations, all right? Uh, with native yeast um, that in some cases are going on for two or three months and then they're aging the wine in. So in, in the case of their young wine, their joven, um, they're aging it for about a year in stainless steel and sort of letting letting it sit through the cold of winter so it naturally decants and precipitates and 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 eventually is bottled unfiltered, unfined and a minimal dose of sulfur. Um, so in this case, it's a completely still wine uh, it's aged on the leaves, so it's got a little texture and um, and has ripeness, which is something that you don't find in chocolate. So yeah, um, uh, in that in that case, it's, it's very very um, unconventional. You know, it's 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 ripe, it's textured, it's aged, and um, in my opinion, just a little uh, more serious than than a lot of the um, sort of more conventional styles of chocolate that you see. The, the, the fact that Ulibari was so different and they fit the ethos of, of producers that we look for uh, made it a no-brainer. And that was sort of um, the, the beginning of our trajectory um, in the region and obviously, um, you know, have added uh, some things ever since. Um, we recently added a producer from Getaria, which you have with you um, today, uh, John Goenaga. Mm-hmm. Um, a small um, farmer uh, who is actually, I know for sure he was the first. I'm not sure if he's the only still, but avocado producer in, 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 in Getaria. That's yes, wild. In the, in the Basque country. Um, so this guy, uh, he farms all sort of horticultural products. He farms uh, peppers. His big thing are peas um, and sells uh, some of his uh, vegetables to like all the three-star Alta Gastronomia restaurants that you find across mm-hmm. the Basque country and recently only planted uh, a vineyard. I think he's got about one hectare and he literally makes 1,200 bottles. <laughs> a year. That's crazy. His first, his first vintage was 1,200 bottles and that's why the wine is called G1200. All right, G for Goenaga, which is his last name, 1,200 is uh, the amount of bottles he got in his first vintage. I think it's grown uh, a little bit since, um, maybe double now, um, but at least 1,200 is what we get into the States. That's that wild. is literally the amount of cases. He makes more avocados than he makes grapes. He does, he does, and peas. He's selling his peas to Echabari for like 35 uh, euros a kilo. That's so insane. those are some expensive hand-picked peas um, so he's doing it all for him. Um, the 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 grapes and his vineyard is just another one of his uh, crops. Yeah, totally. Um, and uh, he's um, 
you know, renting some space in a uh, local winery in Getaria and he's making the wine like he makes his vegetables, you know? I, I, I love that little sort of spritz in Chapoli, but I would love to see it done in a natural way, you mm-hmm. know, where the wine is maybe bottled with a little bit of residual sugar um, that, that maybe re-ferments or slightly re-ferments over time, creating that natural bubble. And I think this is what you find in the G1200, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's got minimal, minimal, minimal amounts of residual sugar left, but just enough to give it that, um, that spark, you know? Totally. Um, this style, regardless of being, um, you know, a product of organic viticulture and winemaking, uh, it's still very different from what Ulibari is doing. You know, Ulibari, I think, is, is a very different vinification style. I think the John Goinaga style um, definitely fits in, 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 in what most people think of when, when they think of Chakoli. So, yeah, it's hard to come across organic Chakoli, you know, the fact, especially from Getaria. I think in Vizcaico, you have a lot more, um, given vineyards are a little more isolated. And what are some of those challenges? We were talking earlier about like the challenges with organic farming in this area, but for people that right. haven't been to the Basque country and don't know right. it super well, what's kind of yeah. like big picture, the yeah. differences between those areas? So, you know, the, the, the Basque country is considered, you know, Northwest Spain. It's the green Spain that they call, right? So um, this is a cool climate um, and it's very rainy and wet. And that makes it very difficult to, to, to farm uh, organically and naturally. I always like to compare this, this area of Spain, you know, the Basque country and Galicia and Asturias to like, you know, more of a Loire Valley um, sort of climate, um, you know, cooler uh, uh, than other regions in Spain and just, um, you know, more rain and obviously rain, humidity, uh, all this stuff makes it very hard to farm organically. And and I think the fact that in places like Getaria, where uh, vineyards are all so close to each other, if everyone is not farming organically, it's very hard to sort of isolate yourself and try to do it yourself. In Getaria, uh, it's a peninsula. So yeah. there's only so much space. I think it's one of the highest sort of vineyard plantations per capita in in Spain. You know, here we're talking about the minifundio, you know. Um, in Spain, we always talk about, you know, the minifundios in, in the northwest of Spain that are all, you know, uh, they're small holdings of land. And this is uh, sort of a minifundio region uh, to the max, um, you know, so it's hard to practice organic viticulture when, when the vineyards are all so close to each other. If everyone is not sort of practicing the same kind of viticulture, it's very hard to do it on your own because honestly, all of the pests that are being sort of pushed out of the rest of the vineyards with chemicals will just, will just, you know, flock flock to your vineyard you know totally uh, and make it very hard and you know that the climate makes it very hard to um to farm organically in this region and um honestly i i think the mentality is is, is not quite there yet either so i think uh, you know there's a lot of things that sort of need to happen to start seeing sort of uh, massification of organic farming in this region mm-hmm. Um, but right now I think it's, uh, very scarce and, and, you know, uh, few and far between. So, um, the fact that John Goenaga is able to do this is because he does have 
a little bit of isolation as opposed to some other areas in Gedalia. So I think um, uh, unless you start to see uh, a mass adoption of organic viticulture, I, I think it's going to be very hard um, uh, to start seeing more organic viticulture, at least in, in Gedalia, or, you know, look for isolation. And if you have the isolation, then I think it makes it a little more possible, as is the case with John Goinaga. Hmm. Are there other things that people should know about Chocoli that you'd want to let people know for people that maybe haven't had this wine before, um, this yeah. style of wine? I, I I think so. So working with Ulibari, I think it's been it's been a challenge to um, convince people that Chocoli can age. You know, I, I I'm a strong believer in well-made Chocoli can age just as good as any other wine. I think it's a total mis misconception that a chocolate needs to be consumed within the year. You know, we've definitely had a lot of barriers selling Ulibari off vintage. You know, it's it's almost one of those things where it's like, you know, you have to convince customers that it just hasn't been sitting, that it was just released, you know, yeah. that that these are current vintages that we're working with. It's not that it's just been sitting collecting dust in our warehouse, you know, that <laughs> the Ulibari style takes time. And, you know, I, it, it, at times it's, you almost got to tell them to sort of forget about what their concept of chocolate is and just open up their mind yeah. and just kind of close their eyes and, 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 and taste the wine for what it is, because in the end it's white wine. So the fact that chocolate needs to be bubbly and needs to be green and needs to be lean and needs to be, you know, 11% alcohol, you know, th that's a style of chocolate. But I think that chocolate can be versatile. And I think there's a wide spectrum of styles. And, and really, um, I think Piscaico has always been known for the still wine. But I think Getaria really has pushed for um, uh, the popular concept of chocolate, but that doesn't mean that there's that, that other styles aren't possible. Totally. Um, so, so, uh, going not so much, but Ulibari has definitely been a challenge, you know, selling chocolate right now. Our current vintage of Ulibari is 2017, hmm. you know, and there's already 2020 chocolate out in the marketplace. <laughs> you know, this, this is the, the, the stuff sort of educating people and letting them know that, Yes, you know, it's called Chakali, but I think there's a wide range of what Chakali can be, especially if we take into account the three different subregions that you have, which are, you know, as you know, Arabaco, um, Biscaico, and Getariaco. It's been fun selling Chakali. Um, sometimes I think the Chakali uh, name has has weighted down a little bit. So I almost refer. You to almost it just call just it like, Basque white wine. Yeah, this is Basque wine. It's Basque wine because people have that sort of idea uh, ingrained in their minds of what chocolate is supposed to be, and you know, chocolate can be red, <laughs> which a lot yeah. of people don't know. So yeah, I think there's still a lot of work to be done. I think there's still a lot of work to be done. From a production, from a production standpoint, and also from a commercial standpoint, and, and really changing um, the consumer's idea of what Chapoli is. So you import wine from all over Spain. You have producers in Benedez, you have producers in the Basque Country, you have producers in the south of Spain. And mm -hmm. the Basque Country is kind of like a very uniquely autonomous region. Does that ever present any challenges for you when you're importing wine to the United States? Like, are there any sorts of challenges? dealing with these different regions of Spain? 
No, not not so much. I mean, you know, we, we have a lot of nationalist movements in, in Spain, Catalonia being one of them. The Basque country each has their own legislation, but honestly, everybody wants to sell. Yeah. <laughs> so, so as an importer and me sort of um, showing interest, uh, uh, borders have never really, um, never really made a difference. Yeah, no, there hasn't been many challenges, really. Um, in the end, it's still one country. Um, mm. And getting wine from the Basque country to the port of Barcelona, which is where we do, um, you know, all of our shipments um, has not been an issue until now. I would really love to give people or give you an opportunity to talk about your import company, kind of why you created it, what kind of the ethos of Selections de la Vigna is. But I want want people to like have kind of like an intro to you, the company, sure. and sure. the style of wines that you bring in. I think that would be great. Yeah, I'd love that. So um, we started our company in 2013. My wife, Ana, and I, we're both from Southwest Spain, from Sevilla. Um, and uh, I, I grew up here in the States. I've sort of been back and forth between Spain and the U.S. my whole life. Um, and uh, the reason we moved here in the first place when I was a young kid was because my father uh, worked in produce. He uh, imported citrus fruit from Spain, um, more specifically clementines. Um, you know, the 90s was like the golden age of Spanish clementines here in the U.S., now there's clementines, you know, from California and Morocco and Israel. And, and, and I think Spain was sort of pushed out of the market. And I experienced this firsthand when I took my father's company over in 2009. Um, so from about 2009 to 2012, um, you know, I, 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 I was at the helm of, of my father's company importing citrus fruit from Spain. Um, and I just didn't see much of a future in it because of all these things that we're talking about, just growing domestic production, um, commercial barriers that were put on Spanish fruit, um, and just lots of variables that, that, that made business very tough. So I pivoted. Um, I pivoted into wine. I was very You pivoted before about- the pivot was a thing. Right. This past year, everyone be pivoting, but you were doing it. <laughs> right. You did the pre-pivot pivot. Right, right, right. I was a small forward playing uh, yeah. basketball. So, you know, uh, I got a strong pivot game, bro. There we go. I love it. <laughs> you love to see it. <laughs> so, so I pivoted. Yes. And I, and, and um, I was very, you know, as I was saying, very passionate about wine and, um, you know, coming from a background in agriculture, um, you know, with produce and everything, I always saw wine as a, a, a direct product of agriculture more so. So yeah, it seemed like a natural, it seemed like a natural transition. We thought we'd be able to sort of use the same channels, but it was like starting from zero, honestly. You know, I mentioned before my wife and I, Anna, were from Southern Spain and there was so much um, natural wine uh, being made in Southern Spain and it wasn't really being imported or represented here in the States. So we sort of saw that as an opportunity to do it ourselves. Uh, we started with five producers um, in Your first producer was from Estremadura, right? One of them, yes, which is uh, Altos de Montanches. Uh, they make the Vegas Altos wines. Um, but we also had uh, Calzon from Granada and Marenas from Cordoba. And we started with five producers from Southern Spain with a focus on Andalusia and our first uh, full year 
um, we were focusing on natural wines from south of Spain, all right? Uh, it was a mix of Andalusia and Extremadura. And then uh, after a second year, you know, uh, and sort of had some success working with, with the wines we were working with, we opened up to, to the rest of the country and um, do sort of look for the same uh, profile in all of our producers. You know, I mentioned before, I think wine is, is, is a product of agriculture. So we're looking uh, for wines that are made in the vineyard, not so much in the winery, you know, and are a product of organic viticulture that uh, we've talked a lot about and uh, minimal intervention in cellar. For us, uh, native yeast is, a, is the deal breaker. This is, you know, we definitely, you know, draw a hard line here and say all of our wines need to be fermented with native yeast because that's where the terroir is, you know. We, we think, you know, in, in our opinion. And um, yeah, now t today we're working with over 50 producers um, across all the Spanish wine regions. We're working with three producers in Portugal. Um, you know, as you know, we recently uh, ventured into Chile. South America, yeah. and Chile and Peru and Argentina is in the works. And again, uh, uh, all fitting the same ethos, you know, small producers that are working their vines and making the wines um, in an honest, transparent fashion. And uh, in, in a lot of cases, old school, the old school way with, you know, in some cases, not not many means uh, whatsoever to, to, mm -hmm. to make to make wine, which 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 we think is the way, you know. Um, so, um, yeah. I don't know. If, uh, I, I, I was all over the place there. <laughs> no, that was great. No, that's the big thing is that I think your portfolio, you represent Vinos Vivos is right. The catchphrase or that's the, true. that covers that's everything. True. And it's cool to see the portfolio. Cause I think Spain produces some of the most exciting and interesting wines, but I think the prism through which so many people see Spain is just like oaked red wine, right? Like, right, and, right, right. And it's so right. cool to see kind of the real spectrum that exists in Spain. Yeah. And I think the sure. Basque country is a great example of that. For sure. Super important to talk about that because up until now, we've, we've only talked about process, right? We've talked about, you know, the farming and uh, the vinification, but we haven't really talked about the profile of the wines. And I think there is a common denominator in the profile of wines that we work with and sort of, you know, parameters that we look for when selecting wines. And we're steering away from that Alta Expresión era, you know, that I think Spain has really been known for over the past couple of decades, you know, the parkerization of wines in Spain, like the, the, the overripe, the over-oaked, um, you know, over everything, just fruit bombs. And we're looking for more nuanced, uh, essentially more drinkability, honestly, mm -hmm. you know, lower alcohol, higher acid. And this is definitely the common denominator, the freshness. And Spain is, is, is very capable of making very elegant uh, wines with finesse. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be all 14, 5, 15% alcohol wines that, that need 20 years to, you know, of aging yeah. to, to, to be, to, to start to be able to drink them, you know? So we're looking for, for freshness. We're looking for drinkability. We're looking for wines that are fun to drink if you can drink in quantity, you know, um, because we like wine. We like to drink wine. Um, so drinkability is a super important factor in all of the selections we make. And, you know, we, we always talk about drinkability without compromising complexity. All right. Because mm -hmm. I think 
you can make, you know, really fresh wines without losing sort of the character or the typicity of the grape. You know, I think it's really important to find that balance between what's green, what's ripe and phenolic expression uh, uh, that you get from wines that, that, that are maybe picked a little earlier. You know what I'm saying? Um, so uh, all about drinkability uh, without compromising typicity. Like, for example, our, our Bigardo, our Toro wine. Um, Toro is a region that's known for making wines of 15% alcohol and higher and marking them as 15 and oaking. And our, our Toro is maybe 13, five alcohol, spends one year in oak. And, you know, it's coming from ungrafted vines. So, you know, super concentrated, but, you know, 13.5, great acidity, freshness. It can age, yeah, but it can also be, you know, drank now. Um, so this is something that, that, that we, look, we look for. You know, we're not necessarily looking for wines to sell them. We're looking for wines to drink. I love it. Very good. Yeah, yeah. And, and now you've got these conservas too. And now we've got conservas. We are now we are now uh, food and Im- food importers. Um, Brought it full uh, circle. You went. You started with food. You started with clementines, and now right. you're back with food again. I love it. We're 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 back. We're back into food. Um, we're doing conservas from Asturias, uh, from a small restaurant uh, in uh, Playa de Vega, um, which is canning uh, all of their products after cooking them a la brasa over the open fires. So we're working with sardines and we're working with cockles and razor clams and uh, tuna and uh, all delicious products. Um, um, and I think something that's very unique because it's, it's actually cooked and conserved in extra virgin olive oil and made by a small restaurant. I, you know, the fact that it's a conserva and that it's in a can I think, again, we're trying to change what the consumer's concept of, of what a canned item can be. These mm-hmm. cans are more of a culinary experience, you know, because it's a chef-driven product that's being made in a restaurant and packed by hand. And honestly, you know, um, it's a Michelin Michelin uh, uh, restaurant that's that's doing it. So you're really getting that Michelin experience in a can. That's which, super cool. Which is, 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 is super cool and um, something that we hadn't seen um, until now. So we've been surprised at how, because we were a bit worried, they're, they're not cheap. They're, they're yeah. it's expensive product, but I think it's been very well received. And I think people really have been able to appreciate what goes into it. And, you know, the same way that we try to capture um, a landscape in the bottle when 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 we import wines. Uh, I think uh, Abel uh, Alvarez, uh, who is the chef at uh, Weyumar, uh, which is the conservas that we work with, I think he's really capturing his landscape in a can. So, um, you know, it fits. There's synergy. And honestly, we've been selling, um, selling them to to all of the same customers that buy our wine. So there's been, you know, there's been a lot of overlap there and uh, just super happy with the way that's going. And we're looking to, to keep bringing them in and, and you know, keep uh, uh, expanding the line. And, uh, you know, for now, we're good with Way You Mod. We, we're not looking to, to really get into more food items, not saying, at least now, not saying it won't happen in the future. But, um, you know, uh, it's definitely been uh, a great start and we're super excited to, to be representing them exclusively here in the States. So 
um, yeah, uh, great pairing uh, from yeah. Cervas and wine. Um, I can tell you from experience, from our long trips on the road in Spain, finding a lot of these producers that we work with, conservas will will get you out of a bind a lot of times. So uh, I love it. I had a can at Lolo in Austin. We had the oh, chiperones, uh, Ooh. The, the squid in ink. And we Were just they serving it, it straight up or what? We had it with bread, yeah. Um, okay, that, that's super cool. tasty. So, you know, I, I, so um, I'm recommending that people just mix it into rice. People just make white rice and just mix it in. And it's delicious if you're if you're experienced and you you're a you're a uh, uh, you know very cultured in Spanish uh, culture. I'm sure you know how to make paella, right? Um, I haven't made it in a while. I'm a bit rusty. My paella skills okay. are well, a little atrophied at the in, moment. Mix, but mixing it into a paella, um, yeah. I think is 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 a great option. Hell the yeah. best arroz negro I've ever made was using one can of, of these this calamar and tuquinta. Yep. And um, um, so, it, you know, there's options and uh, it's, uh, you know. You love I, to I see it. I liked it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I think this was great. This was awesome. Cool. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate Thank you. it. Thank um, you. We got to get you I, back in Texas because the last time you were here I, was for Wild World, right? That's right. No, last time I was there was right before the pandemic, believe it or not, man. Really? It was um, it was in uh, early March. It was March of 2020. Really? Early, early March of 2020. Remember, uh, we had just started working with Light Years, and mm. I was there to unload the right. first order. Um, I, they did the yeah. they did the tasting. You came through. I yeah, yes, yeah, I re- I that was a wild time. You. That was. And I think I was about to go to Japan. I think it was like the yes. day or two before I left. Right, yeah. right, right, right. I do recall. Right. Because we tasted um, the copy wines, I remember. That's right. Revisited copy those. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. Um, so that was the last time. So it's been uh, it's been just about a year since I was there. So yeah, man, I I love Texas. Um, so whenever it's it's uh, physically possible, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Get your uh, sweet ass you back down here. Right, and uh, hopefully we do another choach like uh, like we used to. I know. Soon. We got to get you to be the uh, celebrity judge again for the uh, Perone pouring competition. I, I, I would love that. We haven't done a Perone pouring competition in a minute, so I'm sure the um, the level is 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 uh, much higher now. Yeah, it's a steep <laughs> learning curve. But, uh, <laughs> awesome, cool man. Uh, enjoy right, man. enjoy the rest of your week. I will talk to you cool. soon. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Hey, Have a good one, Bye. man. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of By the Glass. You can stream every episode of BTG ever recorded on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Audible. All you got to do is smash that subscribe button. We've got one more Basque-themed episode coming later this week. It's about cider specifically, so I'm super stoked on that. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you later this week.